When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Adam Jones, Dave Prentice and Chris Beasley. Recording a day earlier than normal, we just couldn't wait to get around the table and discuss <laughs> a terrific afternoon at Goodison where the Blues thumped in all their Gunnar Solskjaer's words, Everton, uh, Manchester United 4-0, and deservedly so. It could have been more on a terrific afternoon for all involved. We'll be discussing that, what impressed the panel most about the victory, and in these moments we like to get their opinions on who was man of the match and get a different answer from each of the guys. Uh, we'll also be discussing Idrissa Guy, uh, Michael Silver, across the weekend saying... His future is out of his control, but reminding him of his importance to Everton. And he reminded everybody at Goodison yesterday how important he is to the Blues with another terrific performance. And of course, we'll be discussing the other standout performer from the game, Gilfie Sigurdsson, and discussing what next for him. Um, Preno, before we get into specifics of, of players uh, and, and man of the matches, etc., generally what impressed you most about Everton uh, on Sunday? Oh, where do you want to start? Um, absolutely everything. The attitude, uh, the quality of football, the intensity, the finishing. Um, there's so many things you could you could pluck out. And I won't go down the individual route because there are loads of players that you could actually you know, sort of pluck out. But just the attitude from the start. I mean, clearly a reaction was required after the, the complacency that was shown you know, sort of a week earlier at Fulham. And it was exactly what was needed. In some respects, maybe United was a good team to face in this. You know, so you needed a big team and a big challenge uh, to get the requisite reaction from the players out there. But that was great. And the atmosphere as well, you know, shouldn't really underestimate, you know, sort of how good Goodison has been over the last few months. Is it just, you know, coincidence to say that it coincides with the siren? Because I love hearing that. It just, it creates a sense of anticipation, you know, so, and you can see in the tunnel, you know, so the, the players thinking, whoa, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, whether that will fade in time, I don't know. Uh, but that's certainly contributed as well. Uh, you know, so Goodison was rocking from the very, very start. So there's a number of things, but I think, you know, so bottom line, the attitude that, you know, that everybody showed, you know, so on the pitch and around the other pitch in terms of the fans as well, from the word go. Adam, pronounce says attitude was the thing that impressed him most. Uh, what about you? Uh, I think the way Everton went forward and attacked Manchester United has been picked up on a lot, but I think I'd like to pick up on how defensively solid Everton were and how hard they worked whenever Man United had the ball. I mean, I know personally I was looking at the uh, lineups when the teams were announced and I was a bit scared of United's front three, to be honest. Uh, Martial always seems to turn it on against Everton. Uh, he especially run rings around Seamus Coleman at Old Trafford earlier this season, so I was a bit concerned about them two getting matched up again. Uh, we all know how good Marcus Rashford is on his day. You know, He very nearly scored in the opening minute against Barcelona. You know, He's got electric pace uh, and absolutely... It's such a powerful shot on him yeah. as well. Like, it, and uh, we all know what Romelu Lukaku can do on his day as well. So I was a bit concerned about them three coming up against you know that 
an Everton defence that struggled to contain the likes of Mitrovic and Ryan Babel only a week before. But you know, they they just these players just stood up and they absolutely put all of their effort into it. And you know, it took eighty six minutes for Manchester United to have a shot on target, and that was down to the work of not just the back four, but everybody in the squad, like defending from the front front, uh, Calvert Lewin and Sigurdsson doing their utmost to make sure that United's defenders couldn't play out from the back. And then Idrissa Guy and Morgan Schneiderlin especially, I think, coming into the uh, coming into the side after having such a long time off, he just slotted straight back in and made sure that Paul Pogba just didn't have any space to move at all. So I think, yeah, the defensively, Everton was so good, completely deserved that clean sheet. And, you know, that's games against Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United at home now. Not a goal conceded. And I think that is massive credit down to the, all those players and to Silver as well. So we've had attitude and defensive solidity mm. and hard work. Is there anything different that maybe that you sort of came away from having watched that game thinking that you were really struck by generally? Yeah, definitely. The speed of thought, oh, really, okay. from, the, from the Everton players. No, they, they were so quickly onto everything, not just like, as Adam says, when United had the ball swarming round them like bees, almost two or three at a time sometimes, eager to get that ball back. But um, the, the passing movement as well, some some lovely sequences played really sort of carved United up, not not just the, the, the goals that they did score, there were plenty of other moments as well where they were just swarming forward and they, they just seemed at it I know that the narrative quite inevitably nationally will be mm. United's shortcomings and it's, it's very unfair that on Everton I think Everton were on it from the from the first minute and that that, that the players were all up for it and they, they they weren't just determined they were playing really good football and I think that's something we need to emphasise Interesting point, Prano Bees brings up and, and, and it has been a theme of, of, of yesterday evening hasn't it and, and that the narrative outside of Merseyside has obviously been about the, the tale of woe that is United and their demise and their problems. Yet, obviously, the real narrative for us, of course, is, is how well Everton played. Should should we ignore the idea, and, you know, we know how well Everton played and Evertonians know how well we played on the day? Or, or do you think that, you know, from time to time, we do need to see that kind of acclaim and, and that praise from a wider audience it's it's difficult to ignore it because it's um it's the national media at large which projects this uh, this mindset i mean you two are fortunate enough to be actually inside the stadium yesterday i was watching it on on television and i was getting angry i was getting irritated at some of the things i was hearing i could see how well everton were playing and yet i was hearing uh, the commentator saying if everton can hold on to this win and claim another big six scalp very early in the game and I'm thinking hang on hold on to this win Everton are absolutely carving United apart here and another big six scalp this is a football club that's won nine league titles that's won five FA Cups that you know used to be one of the, the, the big four when the Premier League was created yeah granted over the last you know sort of 20 years Everton stock has you know has fallen in that time but you know under Farhad Mashiri, you know they are being very very ambitious again and I think it's just a bit mealy-minded to talk about it in that fashion. And then, as ever, you know, so the, pond, the punditry panel, you know, so on national television is almost exclusively dominated by, you know, so Liverpool, former Liverpool players. And so you have <clears> the <throat> absolutely absurd situation of Graham Souness trying to claim that the first goal should have been ruled out because it was dangerous play <coughs> and, uh, and quite rightly being like sort of laughed down. So, you know, it's difficult to ignore, um, you know, so that is a narrative that's driven, you know, so by 
the television companies by saw the national media and at the weekend that's because Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world you know so we can't hide from that um, despite how poorly they've played this season and so that was always likely to be the case but I think you know, so professional journalists should give a more balanced view and should look at both sides of the story. And you know, you did yourself. You you know wrote that Manchester United were poor, but then also gave you know Everton the credit that they deserved. And I think you know, so some of the national media guys didn't do that. They just reflected totally and wholly on how poor United have been when they should have looked at the fact that hang on, Everton have beaten Arsenal comfortably. Everton have beaten Chelsea. Everton have held Liverpool and finished the game the stronger, and have now battered Manchester United therefore this is a football club moving in the right direction mm. and that, that wasn't there I think the one that stuck out to me was Gary Neville after, oh, after the game he, he, he went on his like a two three minute rant about yeah. how bad Manchester United were and obviously you know ex-Manchester United captain you can expect him to focus on United that little bit more but there was that one section where he said oh United ran four kilometres less in the first half than Everton Everton and he said it like yeah. that and it was just so disrespectful to Everton and it's just he didn't need to do that and it's it's like me and Phil said yesterday, like this wasn't a one-off really from Everton. Everton could have done this to Chelsea, yeah. Everton could have done this to Arsenal. Should have done it to Arsenal, Should yeah. have done it to Arsenal, just weren't clinical enough in front of goal. This wasn't really a surprise to the Everton fans who were inside the stadium. Mm. They were delighted to see it. But, you know, we have seen this over the last few weeks, you know. It, it just seems that the national media just isn't getting on to the fact yet that Everton are just playing some really nice football at Goodison Park well, these days. It, Maybe is there an argument, bees? Long they long may that continue because, you know, certainly under the sort of the peak Moyes, mm-hmm. we were always seen as the underdog, and it worked in our favour. And I'm sure Moyes would use that as a as a motivational tactic in the siege mentality. Yeah. Let's let's you know let's batten down the hatches and let's prove everybody wrong. Maybe Marco might be happy with that. Yeah, but. Um- Perhaps so. I think yeah, they do need a bit more steeliness in them, and if that's what brings it out, then um, I'd be all, I'd be all for that. Yeah, I'd just like to see that bit more consistency. This has come just a, a weekend after the abject two 0 mm, defeat course, at Fulham, yeah. and we can't move on from that. There's still a great degree of inconsistency in Everton's play. Yes, they've got this increasingly impressive um, scalper list of scalps at Goodison Park, but they need to be doing it week in. We can, but yeah, if if that's if that's what it takes to to get the players together to to be more um, determined and put in those um, hardened performances, and yeah, there's no, there's, there's no pr- problem with that because there is a golfing class between the top six, the big six, whatever you want to call them. They are the leading six clubs in the division, and the rest of the division. I mean, Everton are now back in that position as best of the rest as as it stands this morning but um, there's, still a, there's still a huge um, points gap between them and United although they were obviously a much better side on the day but of course you know look at them, and the proof will be in the long term pudding but obviously you know and there's no no harsher critic than an Evertonian about, about the Blues but do you think do you sense that maybe feeding into that kind of um, lack of, of, of sort of acclaim and plaud is, is a perception that as a club now, we've we've discovered the um, benefactor, if you like, you know, somebody to help bankroll um, the club and spend money that we didn't have previously. But because we have wasted money, do you think almost that people, uh, again, beyond the walls of, of the city, just see this as another another false dawn or Everton? Or it won't happen again. You know, you know, they don't believe that that you know 
a team playing well, it'll be sustained because you know they've had money and, and et cetera, et cetera, and it's not worked out. Is, is that another sort of something that feeds into it, perhaps? That, that could be the case. Yeah, they need you know some more sustainable evidence that this is going to be you know sort of a long term project. And clearly, you know the, the the building blocks are in place. You know that we've seen. You know the appointment of a, a director of football that you know has a a long-term strategy and philosophy which he's already started to implement. A manager who wants the club to play in a particular style of play uh, and is starting to, to achieve that. And, you know, what Adam mentioned before, what people are losing sight of is, you know, so how things have turned round, you know, defensively at Everton. I think the first 14 games of the season, there were three clean sheets, uh, whereas that's now, let me challenge my math, six mm. in the last eight, is it? It's, you know, it, it's quite significant, yeah. um, you know, so how things have turned around. Um, and you know it, it takes sometimes you know sort of one national media journalist to write and it suddenly becomes a flavour of the month then and people start picking up on oh actually yes something does appear to be happening there and you know it's no big deal if uh, Everton do fly under the radar for a little while longer um, I think possibly if they do manage to see it through finish seventh City do win the FA Cup and qualify for Europe maybe that could be you know the time to uh, you know start celebrating you know what is happening at Everton maybe it will just take you know so a bit more evidence of you know longer term results happening I'll have to wait and see but for the time being let's just enjoy it ourselves because it's, it's been great to watch and you know long may it continue absolutely okay uh, now is the time where each of the panel have to pick a different man of the match which in these circumstances can be <laughs> Troublesome to say the least. Adam, you get the uh, advantage of going first. Uh, well, who was your man of the match? It's going to be oh, easy this week, isn't it? Idris a guy. Okay, is uh, is my man of the match because uh, I think it goes without saying these days how good he is defensively. We know how hard he works off the ball. We know how good he is at you know tackling, intercepting, and he showed that off perfectly yesterday. But I think his work on the ball yesterday was the best I've ever seen him produce. He there was. Uh, the build-up to the second goal, you know, his little his little interchange with Bernard, just when it looked like he was just going to oof the ball off. That it's little disc as well in the on the uh, yeah. on the record books, isn't it? Not many of them down the years, I, I wouldn't say. But yeah, his little link-up play with Bernard there was really good. You know, turned defence into attack pre- perfectly for Everton there. And there was one moment in the air in the second half as well where he did a disguise pass again to Sigurdsson and he just cut out. Manchester United's entire midfield and you know don't like I don't think we've seen that enough really down the years from Guy and I don't think we gave him the credit and thought that was really possible but I think Silver is you know he's believed in him in that sense he's given him a lot more attack and freedom especially when he's played alongside Schneiderlin over the last few weeks uh, Schneiderlin sits in and uh, it allows Guy to express himself a little bit more going forward and I think you know We've talked about his attitude a lot since the January transfer window, and I think he's just been absolutely exemplary. And you know, that, uh, yesterday's performance was the culmination of that. And I'd I'd argue that's the best I've ever seen him play in an Everton shirt. Absolutely. Okay, we will come back to Guy and speak more about uh, the Senegalese midfielder bees. Um, mm-hmm. You can't have guys. You're man of the match, yeah. I'm afraid. Uh, that's been taken. So who's your, uh, <laughs> I will select just... yeah. Gilfy Sigurdsson then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Preno's face yeah, exactly. dropped. <laughs> got me to keep talking for a while. Um, no, no. There's, yeah. could, there's four of us yeah. sat yeah. We could go around the table and have a different man yeah. each time um, and no one would raise eyebrows. Yeah. Um, that... That goal, I've, I've actually heard some people criticising David De Gea for that goal. I thought that was ridiculous. said he, he should have got to it. Um, very few footballers can strike a ball from distance in the way that, that Gilfie can. And um, as, as soon as he hit that, I mean, you could, you could tell it was, it was going in. And 
It wasn't just that. Just a, he's, a, he's all round this play. We, we know he is a he's, a he's a good goal scorer certainly this season. But um, being involved a lot more—that's what what we like to see, and that's what we had yesterday. But even um, that one off the line, um, the corner, the corner the line, almost yeah. went in directly. Yeah, I mean that was that was amazing, and um, it, it shows you why you should, I, in my book, have somebody on the line. The fact that they had to scramble and kick that off the line. Yeah, the, it was it was the Gilfie that we know. Um, the sort of performance he can produce and he's on it against the good teams actually got a great record against mm. Manchester United and uh, yeah he was he was oozing class and that's that's the, the, the reason that Everton paid all that money for him that, that one of those displays against the top team so yeah I'll go for guilty performance of the club record signing indeed yeah Preno, you can't have Idrissa, you can't have Sigurdsson. Who was your man of the match? Like I say, you could go through the, yeah. the team probably and pick out you know six or seven players, and you know nobody would raise an eyebrow really because the quality of performances were that good. The next obvious one, really, I suppose, is Bernard, who uh, has just really you know started to find the pace and the intensity of the Premier League to his liking. Um, his feet, you know, and his vision are, are so quick, you know, so all the way through the game. But it's also the physicality that he's showing now, uh, you know, which for a guy who stands five foot five is, is difficult to do. But you know, he does. He actually has this core strength, uh, and, and he will not be bullied. Um, I just thought his all-round, you know, sort of link-up play was absolutely top class, and I just love, you know, the little holes that he finds, uh, you know, to thread balls through. Um, you know, certainly wouldn't argue with Gay or Sigurdsson, both absolutely outstanding on the day, and you know, the ones that really caught my eye. But you know, Bernard, he's just really finding a real rich vein of form now, and also great that he saw the game out as well. You know, so another ninety minutes. You know, he's not like beginning to dip towards the end of games. So a top class performance. You know, so from start to finish. So yeah, I would I would give it to Bernard. In my stuff yesterday, I wrote um, a little bit of debate um, online. That Bernard, from from the start of the season, I think he's made the most improvement to any Everton player. I think there's, there's a case for Calvert-Lewin, obviously, in that, and some people mention Michael Keane. <clears throat> do, you, do you think that Bernard's made the biggest strides from where it's, he was? Or? The difficult one to say, because he, he sparkled so much to, to begin with when we first saw him, you know, that little jink down the left and then waited patiently for the run inside and then just rolled the ball very, very gently across and made him come on as a substituted I can't remember who it was against. Fulham, yeah. Fulham, yeah. And you just thought, wow, we've got a player here. And then his performance at Leicester, you know, so again, was was great. But then he appeared to have like just a little dip, you know, so where he was finding, you know, the, the physicality and the intensity of the Premier League. And, you know, he's come back and actually, you know, absolutely flying now. So I would argue that, you know, probably Calvert-Lewin has improved the most. And, you know, if you were to go around again, I probably would have, you know, sort of picked Calvert-Lewin second time round because... There were just a couple of moments during the game, um, you know, when he might have taken the ball more sweetly into his stride that would have then given him a, an opportunity on goal. But that apart, his hold-up play was absolutely top class. You know, so holding the ball, you know, bringing other people into play and just, again, bullying, you know, sort of top-class defenders. He seems to have perfected the knack of the jumping chess control, which is yeah. no mean feat. It does, he's... He, he, We've mentioned many, many times about the similarities with Graham Sharp, not just in terms of the way he plays the game, but being a bit of a slow developer as well. And, you know, getting into his, his prime years when he was 22, 23. And that was a Graham Sharp trait that Andy Gray actually, you know, coached into him leaping early uh, to try and, you know, sort of disconcert the centre half and either flicking the ball on or, you know, sort of chesting it back down again. And he does that so well. And uh, it was quite interesting this morning um, being sport on there. Analysis of the game. Tim Cahill was asked, um, you know, so which player that you think should ever Everton should target this summer? 
to try and you know sort of build on what they've got. And he identified Diego Costa uh, at Atletico Madrid to be met with much you know some mocking from people who were on the panel with him. And the fact that he's thirty as well, it's probably not a realistic target for Everton to be looking at. But on Talksports, you know, he who shall not be named, uh, you know, former manager of Everton Football Club, was also asked about this, and he surprisingly talked about Calvert Lewin as uh, being a guy that's improved massively this season and should be given the opportunity next season to prove that he can add goals because that's the only thing lacking at the moment you know goals to his game maybe save Everton an absolute fortune in the transfer market but prove that he can be the centre forward that can take Everton forward possibly possibly he could become that player uh, but you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see but yeah his improvements I think has been even more so than Bernard's this season There was a point just at the start of this run if you like when I think I asked Marco whether I asked him for, you know, to talk talk about Calvert-Lewin and he basically said he's got an opportunity to, to prove that he can be very important for us going forward. He says he always will be important, he always will be an important yeah. player, but very important. And, and you know, the, the, the inference was you can be my proper number nine yeah. for next season. Do you think he's grasping that chance? 100% he is. I mean, um, like I say, his hold-up play has been absolutely top class. His pace gets him into positions and stretches defences. The only thing missing are goals at the moment. You know, you if you're going to be a centre-forward, you've got to score goals. You've got to get 15, 20 a season. But how, but how um, much does that matter if, if he's doing the work and the hold-up play? That means well, you, everybody I, else I, scores? I think yesterday you saw his work rate opening up so many opportunities yeah. for... The other players around him, and I think that's what makes him so vital, like to Everton's front four. As I think you've really got to call it yeah. now. You saw it in the first goal, like granted it came off his shoulder in the end, but he got the flick on yeah, yeah. to to Richarlison. Uh, it was him who made the run across, which opened up the space for Sigurdsson to have that shot for the second goal. Like he just he just gave those United defenders so much work to do. That they forgot about the rest of the front three. Essentially, yeah. like he was so, he was so good in that respect. And you know, you you were saying that he you know he could have took a few things in a stride a little bit better to create chances for himself. But I can't really remember him having a chance to score really no, didn't. for himself. So you know, it, like I, I do understand the criticism that he should be adding more goals to his game. But for games like that. He, he didn't have a chance to score, so you can understand how he hasn't scored yeah, in that yeah. kind of uh, match. As long as other players in that front three are scoring regularly, you know, yeah. Richarlison, if he's scoring regularly, if Sigurdsson's scoring regularly, if Bernard can add a few more goals, you know, sort of his game, mm-hmm. maybe it isn't quite such an issue. But it will always be, you know, the responsibility of yeah. the centre forward yeah, yeah. to score goals. And I think that's, you know, if he was scoring every second or third game, I think he would be nailed on, you know, sort of start yeah. next season. He's a player you want to do well and want to see develop as well because, you know, we, we've all spoken to him around this table and he's, he's such a nice guy. And you can't and just can't be a charity for nice guys. But, you know, you can see that determination. You know, he's, he's come from humble stocking that, you know, he had to come up the hard way, play, go out on non-league, as we all know, as, as a young player. And he wasn't even a regular at Sheffield United. Whenever he also was a midfielder. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So to have developed in a, a new position yeah. as well. So it just shows you how he's come on and how determined he is. And you, you really hoping that he does well and I think that's what Marcel Brands and Marco Silva want to see there is an opportunity here I mean they could spend big money on somebody who was the finished product but they want to just see how how far they can get with this one and you know it could pay off in the long term so you, you hope it does The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo 
moving on now to a player who uh, had got one of the lads' picks for Man of Match, uh, Idrissa Guy. Um, as we said at the top of the podcast, Michael Silver over the weekend saying he cannot control his future, but reminded him of how important he is uh, to the team. Preno, it may be a little bit of a crude comparison, but yesterday... Um, on the opposite side of the pitch in his very position was a player called Fred who cost Manchester United £52 million last <laughs> summer. So based on a comparison yesterday, if anybody comes knocking on the door in the summer, Paris Saint-Germain or whoever, what's the asking price now? Um, well, you just say it's a crude comparison. And the <laughs> age, I think, you know, the fact that he's... Is he 30 now? 29, 13 September. Yeah, Fred's going, to go, going on 26. Possibly, you know, sort of lessens his value to a degree but on current form you know you, you can't be looking at you know less than 30 35 million because you know he's absolutely flying at the moment and what's so much in his favor is his attitude you know to being told that you know you can't have this dream move that you want to go you know so to PSG it's been absolutely exemplary he's played even better since he was denied that move uh, than he has you know, so beforehand, if you remember, we sat around this table and we were talking probably in January about the possibility of him going. And at the time, and I hold my hand up here because I was one of them saying, well, I'm not that bothered to be perfectly yeah. honest, you know, because yeah, he's okay, he's decent, you know, but, you know, so he's replaceable, you know, so Gomez is the one we want to keep. And, you know, so we need to get a proper, you know, to hold him midfielder in. I'm beginning to change my tune a little bit <laughs> because he has been so good, you know, sort of since then. Um, his quality on the ball was something that was always, it was always a stick used to beat him with, you know, so his passing isn't the, the best level imaginable. You know, he's not as good as Kante is, you know, so with, with the ball at his feet, but he's improved. Yes. You know, so he has yeah. actually changed that aspect of his game. And I mean, Sod's Laura, I tweeted during the game on a Sunday, just, you know, how good has he been? And then probably his only misplaced passes of the afternoon quickly followed. But they were the exceptions that proved the rule. His passing has been absolutely top class, you know, certainly for the last few months. And that suggests that, you know, that kind of player is in there, you know, so he is capable of, you know, so bringing that into his game. Whatever's happening on the training pitches at, you know, Finch Farm. I was going to say, does, does he, you know, in his decision, look, it's clear that he has this dream of a move to, as he calls it, a top club in Europe. Yeah. Obviously that means playing in the Champions League. But, but you know, has he got to also factor in the improvements he's made this season, particularly in the last three or four months? And you've got to think, well, Maybe I'm with the, with the right manager. Maybe I've I've got a coach who's actually bringing me on more than I could have ever imagined. With it, with him though, he's probably going to be concerned about his short term career. Absolutely, yeah. Because, like as Preno mentions, because of his age, he's I'd say he's probably now hitting the, the peak of his career. Mm. He's going to want to think right. If I get into the Champions League now, then this has got this has got to be perfect for me. Like, I think it'll take some convincing from Marco Silva and Marcel Brands to say to him, look, we can be in Europe in the next couple of years. Like, if you just stick around and, you know, he, he, I don't think there's any doubt in Guy's mind that he, he is improving at the minute. But at the same time, like looking at it from his perspective, if if there is somebody like PSG coming again or like even Manchester United as... Uh, the latest rumours have suggested, then he's got to be he's got to be looking at that, and he's thinking, well, in the Champions League now, they're going to be going for trophies now. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be the same player in another two years. Let's say, if I if I want to get myself the most exposure at the top level of the game, I need to do this now. So, it it is a bit concerning that he's like you know his future is still undecided because, as Preno says, he, he has. Since January, he's proven to himself to be vital to Everton at the minute. 
Bees, is there any merit in trying to convince um, Idrissa to stay in offering him a new contract? And obviously by that we, we, we mean improved wages and um, you know is that something that the club need to do or does that go against the grain of 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 what Marcel you know remember last summer talked about does that go against the whole philosophy and yeah I suppose it all depends what happens if if there's no guarantee that Paris Saint-Germain and the like will come back was it seen as a one-time thing in January they wanted at that time so if if he's happy to stay put nobody comes in no yeah, but I think it, if they do come in, I'd imagine that he, he would go because I can understand it's all about the timing of things as it's already been said. This is a player who's probably in his last big chance to get a move to a Champions League club, almost 30 years of age, would and be better off financially ploughing that money into a younger player and it'd be best for all parties that you know he gets his big move and Everton get a chance to develop a... A, a younger player, I can see the merit if, if Adrissa Gay's happy to to stay and see out his years and yeah, hand him the the, the big new contract. But I just imagine that it, it will depend on whether if, if the offers do come. Then I imagine it'd be sold. If, if they don't come, then yeah, they'd be happy to stay put. Mm. Interesting. Um, another player who was also picked up by the lads is man of the match, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, Prado, do you think we should have seen more of those type of performances from Gilfie over the course of the two seasons? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan, and I, I get a bit grumpy sometimes with the other people that you know. So don't give him the credit he deserves. I think because of his slightly languid style, you know, he's he's not the paciest player, and so that sometimes makes it look like you know he's he's maybe not doing enough. His work rate and the ground that he covers is always like right up there, you know, so in terms of the, the the top hardest working performers at the club. And when you contrast that to the quality he clearly has, um, I think we've been seeing that, you know, so pretty much from the word go. We just didn't know quite what kind of player he was when he first arrived. Um, you think of the number of goals this season that have been created by his involvement in or around, you know, just his timing of pass is just so good. I mean, that, you know, the goal he created for Walcott uh, at the weekend was almost, you know, like... Typical, you know, he just killed the ball instantly, oh, and just, uh, yeah. he did, and just like you know, so timed the pass so well, and he even managed to overcome a dreadful Theo Walcott <laughs> first touch uh, to, to, to go on and finally finish him. And we've seen it a few times. I think the Richarlison goal earlier this season that should against Brighton was it that really should be up there for one of the goals of the season, and it was just you know from a sweeping move from one end of the pitch to the other that again just the timing of the pass was just absolutely immaculate, and he does have absolute quality. His dead ball delivery, you know, it's no coincidence that Everton are. What is what the phrase created the most goal scoring chances from set pieces than any other team in the Premier League this season? A lot of that is down to the quality of delivery from you know the, the set pieces that he takes. And um, I'm just a big fan, big fan. And uh, it really annoyed me again that you know people were trying to pick holes in David De Gea, you know, so for allowing that shot to, to go past him, it was a great finish, you know. So he, he picked this spot, he drove it well. Um, it went down fractionally slowly, maybe. And if you're going to be ultra critical, <laughs> say fractionally slowly. If you're, going to be, if you're going to be ultra critical, you know, so you point the finger. I said, but I wouldn't. I give the credit to the, the player who struck the ball, you mm. know, so rather than blaming the goalkeeper. Mm. And I just thought it, it was a, a great performance, and we've, he's had a very, very good season. Um, his all-round performances have been good, and you know, so I, I think we're seeing the kind of player that justifies the transfer fee that, that was paid for him. 
uh, last season. What we tend to overlook as well is that he was played on the left so often, you know, and he's not a left-sided player. You know, he's a number ten. You know, so he plays best in that role, and you know, he's absolutely flourishing. It's, it's no coincidence that he's been played in that role consistently throughout the whole of the season, and as a result, we're seeing his best performances. I think we, we've we've debated many times, certainly earlier on in this in the season on this podcast about Sigurdsson's position, and I know Gav question whether he was actually almost a bit of a problem for Silver but again mm. credit to the manager because he seems to have found a way to finally bring out the best mm. in Sigurdsson and you know as, as Preno alludes to you know the manager that signed him didn't always play him in his best position mm. Allardyce certainly didn't always play him in his best position mm. but Silver has, has stuck to his guns hasn't he and, and mm. been determined for Sigurdsson to play where he always was convinced would yield be, uh, bring the biggest yield. Yeah, I think I think Silva's shown a lot of faith in Sigurdsson in that sense because I'd, I would say there have been times this season where Sigurdsson has looked a little bit questionable. Uh, most recently, probably that Fulham game. Mm. Like, I think everyone looked questionable in that Fulham game, but you know we just didn't create enough chances. His dead ball delivery in that game wasn't necessarily special. But he's now he's now uh, juxtaposing that with some absolutely incredible performances, like the one yesterday against Arsenal. And uh, I think those good performances are massively outweighing any sort of bad performances now. And I think a lot of it over the last few weeks is how well he's paired up with Calvert-Lewin. They, like, I almost see them as a front two rather than anything else now, especially when Everton are out of possession. Like Sigurdsson comes up <laughs> alongside Calvert-Lewin and they attack defenders as they're trying to play out from the back. And I think you know the way the way them two have got such harmony together and then... Obviously, with Richarlison and Bernard coming in off the wings as well, they just seem to know where each other are on the pitch at all times. I think Bernard, like in in particular, is showing that he just seems to have an incredible awareness of where everybody is on the pitch. But it's as as Prano said there, like Sigurdsson's little nonchalant pass through to Walcott, he makes he makes stuff like that look so easy. Mm. So I think all credit to him for stepping up his performances, and I think all credit to Silva for actually trusting him to be able to put in those kinds of displays in that number 10 role as well. Just keep him away from penalties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he also, a bit like Guy, he turns, well, very much like Guy, he turns 30 in the same month in September, yeah. and, bees, and we spoke about Guy and, and him coming into his peak years. Do you think this summer has to be an opportunity for the club to buy a young, younger, long-term to mid-term replacement for Sigurdsson almost? I mean, because who's, who's where's his competition at the minute? And you know, obviously, yeah. he's absolutely nailed on to start, isn't he, on yeah. current form? But just thinking about that long term in the yeah. summer, and- yeah, I'd imagine you'd think within the um, existing squad, the nearest you'd have is, is Kieran Dow, who's been out on loan again, hasn't he? So um, I, I certainly wouldn't think you, you need direct competition in that. I know Silver wants to have two quality options I mean, in, every, yeah. in every position but the way Gilfie's playing it, it, whoever would be the understudy wouldn't be getting much of a, a look in yeah they're, they're both turning 30 but perhaps age a little bit less of a, a barrier to what is just against such an all action in your face um Mid- midfield ratter, as it were, when, it, when you know we all know what his game's all about. Whereas, like we said, Sigurdsson, yeah. he does cover a lot of um, distance during matches. It is less the, the physical exertion and more of the, the placing of the passes, which you won't 
obviously lose, yes. lose with age. So I don't think it, it's immediate. It is a tough one because, yeah, like we said, Silva does want to have two quality options and all the teams do in, in those positions. But I would say that there, there are other prior, priorities up yeah. there and hopefully Gilfie can continue to play most of the time. It may depend on um, whether ultimately they get that Europa League football or not. Mm. Just um, Are Everton going to be playing 40-odd fixtures next season or possibly... 50 odd fixtures next season so maybe depends on whether they get into Europe but you'd like to think Gilfie can continue to play most of the minutes certainly for, for, for another couple of years Indeed uh, final part of the podcast before we uh, sign off for today um, I believe it was mentioned at the top of uh, top of the recording um, Preno a word for the atmosphere again yesterday because it's now been a succession of home games where the atmosphere has been excellent Um and you you could have understood to an extent on the back of a really kind of apathetic performance at Fulham, if you know sections of Goodison had had, had not felt the necessary kind of inspiration to have, have have got behind the team as as vociferously as they had done on Sunday. But I mean, superb again, and 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 the build up as you mentioned with the sirens before the game, and it was they were terrific again. I thought, hundred percent. I think we've been. Quite fortunate to a degree in that um, this you know run of great atmospheres kicked off with the derby, uh, you know the Goodison derby, and it was always going to be noisy for that day. And obviously that was the first time that we heard the siren used. But you know it, it did, it generated an atmosphere. And then what ha- what's happened since then? It's always the argument: do the fans inspire the players, or do the players inspire the fans? Which way around should it be? And no one knows the answer. Mm-hmm. No, no one's ever quite you know sure which way it should be. But it seems to have been symbiotic almost. It's like it's coincided with some decent performances as well. So it's easy for the fans to get enthusiastic about what they're seeing and equally easy for the players to then feed off it. And again, to give Calvert-Lewin a little nod here, I was quite impressed by something he said after the Arsenal game when uh, midway through the first half, Everton were already leading 1-0 and he closed down the goalkeeper, you know, so and chased it down and there was a big roar, you know, from the crowd. And he mentioned it afterwards in his post-match interview where he said, we know that kind of thing gets the crowd going and gets the atmosphere going. So, you know, that's why I did it basically. So, you know, there's a bit of intelligence at work there as well, you know, so the, the, the players are understanding, you know, so what helps generate that atmosphere. So we're seeing it all fit into place at the right time. You know, the players are performing, the fans are responding to it and it just develops momentum then, which means that, you know, the, the atmospheres are great. Now, clearly there's a difficult away game to come this weekend and hopefully, you know, so the performances are going to continue. We're not going to see a, a Fulham type situation because then, you know, the final home game is a Friday night, uh, which is, you know, a bit of a weird one, but you'd imagine the atmosphere would be good for that. You know, final home game of the season, Friday night, uh, a, a team that you'd expect. Oh, I know, yeah. You'd expect Everson to do well against. So, you know, it should be another, you know, sort of vibrant atmosphere. So a number of elements are all falling into place at the right time. And uh, it's great, you know, it's a good place to be at the moment. You know, so fans are enjoying going to matches. And, you know, to those media pundits that asked what do Evertonians want, yeah. this is what we want. We want to go to a noisy, <laughs> vibrant atmosphere and see good quality football. We certainly had the Romelu Lukaku uh, rattled yesterday. <laughs> the, uh, the noisy atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Adam I think Marco had said after the derby um, if the fans and the atmosphere can be even 70% of what it was against Liverpool then that gives uh, that helps the team 40% of the job's done I think that's Mm. the percentage he was using you know slightly convoluted way of, of, of making his point but that feels like it's played out I feel like it's gone above and beyond that. I'd, I'd argue that yesterday's atmosphere was 
the best I've heard all season. Like especially when the teams were coming out, the noise that greeted the teams. Uh, like even like when the siren was on, like the noise that 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 generated was just absolutely incredible. And I'm a big fan of you know all the flags and banners that are in the Gladys Street now. It just it ju- it ju- it does just make you feel happier to be in Goodison Park, doesn't it? And credit to I think it's that group, the Originals, isn't it, who are creating that sort of thing in the Gladys Street. And you know hopefully that'll continue on into next season because I think that has made a major improvement because you know. Th- it's as Preno said, like we don't really know whether it's the players who inspire the fans or the fans who inspire the players. I think essentially it's just a two-way street and, you know, the fans setting out their stall very early, you know, with that kind of wall of noise, you know, that that gets the players up for it. You know, the players have been saying that for weeks, you know, they, they, they love hearing like the fans when they're waiting in the tunnel and they just want to get out there and perform for them. And when they're doing that, you know, the fans are getting up for it more and it's it, it's just been absolutely amazing and I think the Burnley game will be an interesting one because it'll be the first time since the derby that it's coming against you know not one of these big six teams you know it's a game that we're probably expected to win so it'll be interesting to see how the players react to that as well I think the fans will absolutely be up for it as Preno says you know with it being a Friday night but you know after what happened against Fulham last last week you know the players can't allow themselves to get complacent again even if this is a game at home this time you know they need to be as up for it as they are for the you know these games against United, Arsenal, Chelsea. So yeah, the next game will be really interesting. But fingers crossed that this will continue and hopefully even improve further in the future. Amen to that. Uh, thank you very much, chaps. That's where we will conclude today's podcast, the first of two podcasts this week, and we will reconvene around the table later in the week to preview the trip to Crystal Palace. So uh, thank you for your company. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.